What question would I ask Jesus if I have the opportunity to see him face to face, even now? What question would you ask him, having such opportunity to see him face to face? So in life, we have so many questions. There are so many questions we have, and we can ask questions on um, maybe trying to get a direction. We could also ask questions on maybe some very much important things about our lives. So there are so many questions we can ask in life. So today we are going to talk about um, someone in the Bible, which we all, we all know, that asked a very important question. So this guy actually asked a very important question. This young man came to Jesus Christ. He walked up to Jesus, knelt before him, and he asked a very important question. And that question was, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So I'd like us to just pray even as we go through this verse or this chapter. Almighty God, we thank you for this known as unto you. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for our souls. We thank you, Lord, for how you paid the, sac the sacrifice for our sins. We pray, O oh Lord, that you will take charge even as your word is being preached. May your name be lifted up. Help us to understand the meaning of your words and help us to understand, O oh Lord, what you have taught us even from this place. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the, the verse of focus or where we read from previously was Luke 18, 18 to 30. So I would have loved to read it, but I wouldn't read it even now. But we all know the story there. So here we see the story of a man of great wealth, a man with good education, and a man with great social status. In fact, the Bible says he was a ruler. So this guy was very humble, and he came to Jesus and asked, Rabbi, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So we should understand the urgency of such question, because no one knows when he is going to die. Of course, the man did not know when he was going to die. So the question was an urgent one. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So if we, we must, uh, let's notice the, que the question that this man was asking. So he was asking Jesus, what must I do? He was not telling Jesus, what do you have to do for me to gain eternal life? But rather he was asking, what must I do? As an individual, what must I do to gain eternal life? So if we observe the world today around us, it's like someone asking the same question, what must I do to get eternal life? What good must I do? Just tell me. I will be able to do it. What must I do to gain eternal life? He was not asking, what does God do to make it possible for me to get into the kingdom of God? But rather, he was asking, what do I do as an individual to get into the kingdom of God? So, of course, it's like someone who is working hard for a particular reward. You struggle, you invest in everything you need to invest in, so you could earn that reward. And when you earn that reward, you can beat your chest and say, yes, I did it. I was able to do it. 
But if we observe Jesus' conversation here with the, with the man, there are lots of things that we can learn from. So as we have identified, this young man, this young ruler, was asking a very important question from a very, a very sincere perspective. He just wanted to know what he has to, to do. So as we have seen from Jesus, usually when people ask Jesus a question, as the God he is, he always answers in ways to teach the people around him and also to teach us. So Jesus' response to this man was a direct teaching to the man and also to us today about the kingdom of God. So as we explore Jesus' answer as he converses with this man, there is something for us all to learn about entering, the, entering God's kingdom. So there's something for us all to learn about entering God's kingdom. From this passage, my first point is, only God is good. Only God is good. Man thinks that they can attain a certain level of being good. In fact, there are many people we call or we can identify as this man is a good man. But Jesus is telling us from this passage that only God is good. So in verse 18 of the passage we had read, the Bible says, Jesus answered, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. So no one is good except God. The first lesson here we must actually understand is that there is no one good but God. So Jesus throws this lesson out to the, to, the, to the man. The fact that only God is good, man is not good, and cannot be good. Man on our own cannot be good. It's only Jesus that can make us good. So a short story I heard from a sermon when I was a child uh, about a certain poor man. This man was so poor, such that he could not even afford food for himself. So, but the poverty of this man made him, he complained about everything around him. He did not just complain about the people around him, how they were the cause of his poverty, but he also complained about the government, and in fact, he complained about Adam. So his main problem was Adam, how Adam has made him poor. So he would say, oh, if Adam had not been so foolish, to have eaten from that single tree, I wouldn't be suffering like this. So to this man, Adam was the main cause of his problem. So one day, this poor man got a job as a laborer. So as he was digging the site where he was working, um, on every lowering of his um, digger, he would stretch up and he would scream, Oh, Adam! See how you make me suffer. So he kept doing, do, doing this. As he lowers his digger, he stands up. Oh, Adam, see how you make me suffer. So there was a rich man across the road. The man was just monitoring and observing this man and see how he, and observed how in his frustration, how he was blaming Adam. So this rich man approached him and offered to help him. He promised he would give him a place in his house and all he needed. So this man, this poor man was very happy and promised and 
he was very happy and praised God for sending rescue to him. So when he was about to move into the rich man's house, there was just one instruction, one condition the rich man gave to him. Everything in my house is yours. But please do not go inside just this particular room. The man being so excited about his new position, about the benefits he's going to get from the house, did not even think of it twice and promised never to go into that room. So one day, the rich man had an appointment in another city and needed to travel for three days. On the first day, the poor man moved close to the room, to the door of the, of the room. And he kept walking, pacing back and forth, thinking ab about what must be inside this room that this rich man said I shouldn't go into. Does it mean that what is giving this rich man so much money lies inside this, this room, and I can just easily go inside there and also become so well, wealthy and don't need this rich, this rich man. These were the thoughts that he was think, thinking. Or those of us from Africa, we may understand this part of the rich man's thought. Does it mean that there's something inside there <laughs> that is tying me down, that this rich man is using? So the, the guy kept going back and forth, and then he decided to just peep into the room. And as he opened the room, a little rat ran out of the room. And he quickly began chasing or looking for the rat or any other rat to replace that particular rat. So after three days, the rich man came. Now, noticing that this poor man had entered the room, he called, he called him and he said, I picked you from the street because I heard you shouting, Oh, Adam, from your lamentations, you portrayed you were better than Adam and would have pleased God. I gave you a chance to prove you were better, but you couldn't keep a simple instruction. So the rich man had to send the poor man away from his house. Now, what is the lesson behind this story? The poor man has passed through serious poverty, and he has he, he, he had gotten to another stage where he could have enjoyed riches. He would have, he desired to please the rich man, but he did not have the ability to please the rich man. He never had the ability to do good. So there's nothing that made it possible for that particular man to do good. So Jesus speaking to the rich, wrong, the rich young ruler asked him, why do you call me good? No one is good. Now, this is really a very hard fact for we to accept or swallow as men. So if I come and tell, tell you you are no good, it's very offens offensive to humans. But the fact is, man is no good. No one is good. I am not good. You are not, not good. The guy out there is not good. No one is good. This is the first point. Jesus Christ gave to us. In fact, let's even move further into the Bible. Romans 7 verse 18 puts it this way. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. This is Paul speaking. That, in, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. As men, the poor man had the desire to do good, but he could not carry it out. So as men, in 
the sinful nature. We could have the desire to do good, but we can never carry it out. So it's impossible for a man with the sinful nature to be good, no matter how we try. No matter what we do in our sinful nature, it's impossible for a man to be good. Romans 3.19 also tells us, None is righteous, no, not one. There is none who does good, no, not one. So the world may, may term some people good because of our, our standard of evaluation. So if I see someone behaving worse than I am, I can say I am a good man. So that's our standard of evaluation. If I see someone doing so much good in a, part, in a particular place, I might term that person a good person. But that's not the standard of evaluation Jesus has. It is totally different from the view of good mentioned by Christ, even in this chapter. So, but whose evaluation stands? Is it the evaluation man has about what good is? Or is it the evaluation of the maker of the world? So, is it the evaluation of man that stands for the definition of good? Or is it what God defines good as? So, the point Jesus draws, throws to us now is no good lies in man. I'm sorry. So man is, fall, is falling, and evaluating good based on our standard pulls us further and further away from God. So for ex, example of how we evaluating good pulls us further away from God, man keeps coming up with laws, thinking that those laws are meant for good. For example, the laws of abortion, the laws of LGBTQ. This, this, this is the knowledge or the idea of good man has. But we see that such knowledge or such idea pulls man away from, from God. 1 Corinthians 3.19 tells us, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. So if we sincerely examine us, ourselves based on the character of God, we will come to realize, as Paul said, none is righteous. Our righteousness are like filthy rag before God. And only God, can, only God is good. So Jesus asking, why do you call me good? Uh, it's not denying himself as God. Jesus never denied himself as God. Of course, Jesus was good and perfect. He was without sin, having the full nature and character of God. But he asked him that question because Jesus understood that this wrong ruler did not recognize him as God. And he never knew he was talking with God. So Jesus was challenging the man's assumption or belief of goodness because he knows that the man who wants to go into heaven, was relying on his own perceived idea of what goodness is. He knows the man was thinking, certainly heaven is for good people, and I must be good in order to attain or to make um, heaven. This man's idea of good became clear in the subsequent verses um, as Jesus answered him. In verse 19, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimonies, 
do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man's response was, all these I have kept since I was a child. Serious, seriously? All these you have kept? You have never killed? You, you, don't, you don't commit adultery? You've never committed adultery? You've never stolen? All these you have kept? Jesus, Jesus Christ would have immediately stopped the man there. Because thinking about his sermon from the book of Matthew 5, 21 to 48, if you said where he spoke about mother, if you, verse 21 of Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not mother. Whoever mothers will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So you still believe you have not murdered? You've not ever been angry with anyone? So what about what he said about adultery? In verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery with her in his heart. So do you still say you have not committed adultery? Have you looked at anybody lustfully before? So you see, Jesus Christ did not come to condemn the law, but rather he came to explain the law to us, and then he came to fulfill the law. So he came to fulfill the law. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. By our, by our strength, there's no how we can fulfill the demands of the law. Sincerely speaking, how many of us today has not thought anything may be unpleasing in their hearts? So, but this is what the law says. If you must abide to the law, you must fulfill it based on how Jesus has defined it, even in the book of Matthew. So thinking you can be good by your strength is like wearing clean clothes on a dirty, smelly body. True cleanliness comes from Jesus and him alone. So if I think that my good can make me righteous before God, it's like wearing a very, it's like wearing a clean cloth, but in, internally I'm very dirty. And this is what Jesus Christ referred to when he referred to the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs. They appear very beautiful on the surface, but inside they were very dirty. So that's my first point. No man is good but God alone. My second point is, obedience of the law cannot save you. So obedience of the law cannot save you. If obedience of the law cannot save us, what really can save us? And this was the question the man needed to know. What really can save me? The rich man thought he understood the law and was able to keep them. Just tell me which one I should keep, and trust me, I will. But Jesus was leading him to the conversation, to this conversation, to realize that he cannot fulfill the law. No man can. You cannot, I cannot, no one can but Jesus. Matthew 5, 17, verse 17, tells us that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, as I have said, but he came to fulfill them. Jesus explained the law in details of what they entailed. And if you understand the details of what the law entails, you will come to the realization that, of course, 
we as humans cannot fulfill the requirements of the law. So moving back to the story, Jessica has never argued with this man about the fact that he had kept those laws from his child, childhood. But rather, he still led the man to the truth about eternal life, and also for the, for the sake of teaching, teaching us even today. Verse 20, 22 of um, where we have read, the, the book of Luke said, you still lack one thing, Jesus Christ said. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Verse 23, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The young man was convinced he had satisfied the aspect of the laws he made mention of. But Jesus, understanding his self-confidence, revealed an important condition he did not and could not meet. So the kingdom of God is everything you should desire. The kingdom of God was something the man desired. But there was something, just as Brochard said, there was something he was holding on to that he couldn't let go. There was something he lacked that he couldn't let go. His self-confidence revealed an important condition he did not and could not meet. You still lack one thing, Jesus Christ said. The nature of this man was not strange to Jesus. His way of thinking was not also strange to him. Jesus understood this man perfectly. He knew he was focused on the law and thought he could be clean by mere observance of the law. So relying on the observance of the law to get into the kingdom of heaven is putting confidence in your flesh. So because I feel that I can fulfill the law, and this leads us into putting confidence in our flesh. But Philippians 3, 1 to 4 tells us to put no confidence in the flesh. So as, as um, humans, as Christians, we cannot put confidence in the flesh. The young ruler was not the only one with this kind of self-confidence. The Pharisees, a Jewish group made up of people considered to have the most accurate interpretation of the laws, they also had this kind of self-confidence. They believed that they were more holy than the rest of Israel and that they were justified by their self-righteousness. Their focus on, on their righteousness, uh, their focus on the righteousness they can achieve by observing the law blinded them from understanding the scriptures, even the scriptures that testified about Jesus, saying, for the transgression of my people, he was punished. Isaiah 53, verse 8. So the focus these guys, the Pharisees had on achieving righteousness by their works blinded them from understanding the scriptures about who Jesus is. So unless we take away our focus from ourselves and focus on Jesus, we cannot live holy lives. John 15, 4, verse 6 tells us, Abide in me, and I in you. For without me, you, cannot do, you can do nothing. So it is only through Jesus that we can satisfy the law's demands. 
It's only by abiding in Jesus that we can satisfy the Lord's demands. So Jesus here was helping this young man understand the scriptures. It is impossible for your works to gain you eternal life. For all we do as men in the old nature cannot satisfy the requirements of a holy God. The young ruler should have known about our righteousness also being as filthy rags because it was from the book of Isaiah and which they, 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 they had the scripture then. But his pursuit of righteousness in a wrong direction blinded him. So are we pursuing righteousness in a wrong direct direction? Are we looking at something other than Jesus Christ who has been revealed to us? So even today, um, no man can give excuse that man's righteousness cannot satisfy, that, that man's righteous, righteousness um, cannot satisfy. Because if we sincerely evaluate ourselves, we would discover the rottenness of our hearts without Christ. So if we evaluate ourselves sincerely as men, we discover that our hearts are always rotten um, without Christ. We may appear as good before fellow men, but we realize how dirty we are inside. The fall of man separated us from God, and because of this separation, there is no how man can help himself. So it's like a sheep that fell into a ditch. So no matter how we try to climb out that ditch, we cannot do it by ourselves. So we need someone to pull us out. And Jesus is that good shepherd that pulls us out of our sin. He pulls us out of the sin, of, of, of the ditch of sin and destruction. So pursuing righteousness outside Jesus will only make people harden in their sins because they gradually begin to um, see themselves as good men needing no help from God. So the more we, in, the more we pursue righteousness by our, ourselves, we are pulled away from understanding that it's only God who can deliver us. So how do we respond to this? Are we still thinking that our good, are you still thinking your good um, can get you to salvation, just as the man asked? So no matter how you try to keep the law, you will still lack one thing, which is what Jesus Christ revealed to this man. No matter how you try to keep the law, you will still lack one thing. And this one thing will certainly prevent you from entering the kingdom of God. No matter what we try to do by ourselves, we will still lack one thing. So in closing, I would read from the book of Luke 18, 9 to 14. Luke 18, 9 to 14. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. 
I fast, a, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing, off, standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. But he beats his breast saying, God be merciful to me. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So we, just as this story has um, told us, we must come to God empty-handed and receive salvation like the tax collector. The other person, which is the Pharisee, came in telling God what he has. He came in telling God how he had done this, had done that. But the tax collector came, understanding the fact that he is a sinner, and told God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner that I am. You must come to God empty-handed and receive salvation, completely giving up on yourself and what you think what you think you can bring to God. You must come broken, realizing you are a sinner and cannot help yourself. Spiritually poor, Jesus Christ spoke about. The book of Matthew 5, 3 said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for this is the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. So this rich man was so rich. He had many things to offer. He had his good to offer to Christ. But God does not need your good. You must come empty, just as you are, with a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Go empty yourself from yourself. Focus, remove focus from what you are, what you have, what you can achieve, what you can offer, the good name people call you, the good things you think about yourself, and approach God's mercy seat with a broken heart. When Jesus' disciples sought to know how possible this is, Jesus emphasizing that salvation is totally the work of God, says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So salvation with man is impossible, but with God all things are possible. With God, a wretched man, no matter how dirty that man is, can be made whole, can be made clean can be equipped to live good, to, to do good works, no matter how dirty that person is. So with God, all things are possible. Getting eternal life is impossible by your effort. It is only possible with God. So why don't we come to God today recognizing that we are sinners? Not just recognizing that we are sinners, also recognizing that there's nothing good that we can offer to him and holding on to the salvation he has given to us through Jesus Christ. So if you already have received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then the understanding of what Jesus did for you, the understanding that we, were, um, we, we couldn't help ourselves, there was nothing we could, we could do, that understanding would help us to live uh, to, would help us to rely and depend on Jesus Christ for our salvation. 
trusting and obeying his commandment until he comes back again. So that's for if we have accepted Jesus Christ as the total payment for our, for our sins. But for those who have not accepted Jesus Christ as the total payment for their sins. Now, understanding that no good lies in you as a man, understanding that you do not have the ability to do good, we need someone to save us. We need someone that we can impute on ourselves his righteousness, that can give us his righteous righteousness to face the holy God. This rich man had a very important question. What must I do to inherit salvation, to inherit eternal, eternal life? So, but he taught inheriting eternal life whereby his works. Jesus Christ has shown us from this scripture that we do not have the ability to do good and obeying the law cannot save us. The only person that can save us, the only thing that can save us is trusting in the works of Jesus, trusting in what he has done. So Jesus gave up everything to save you. You must choose to serve him with all your heart. So Jesus gave up everything he had to save, to save us. We must all choose to serve him with all our hearts. Amen. Amen. May we pray, please. Almighty God, we thank you, Lord, for your mercies. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the sacrifice you gave for us even on the cross. We thank you, Lord God, for you made us and um, you know, O oh Lord, that we cannot save ourselves. For this reason, you um, gave us your son and your, and your son has made a way for us to come to you. We pray, Lord, that you help each of us to understand that no good lies in us and to also understand that there's nothing we can do to satisfy you as men. So, Father, the understanding of these things help us to come to you wholeheartedly. Pull us to yourself and teach us how to live and walk with you. Thank you, Father, for answering our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.